Grassroots Community Network's 2017 Aspen City Council candidate and election coverage is made possible by a grant from the Thrift Shop of Aspen, where your donations and purchases of clothing and other personal items supports dozens of nonprofits throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. Underwriting for Grassroots ProBlind series of in-depth candidate discussions is provided by A&B Bank Aspen, a bank like no other, with the strength, talent, commitment, and security to fulfill their business and personal customers' financial needs. A special thanks to Aspen Journalism for partnering with Grassroots on ProBlind, because well-informed citizens make better decisions. Discover more local, in-depth investigative journalism at aspenjournalism.org. It is simple to join these local institutions in supporting grassroots programming. Click the Donate button on your next visit to grassrootstv.org. You can watch this program and thousands of other grassroots programs online at grassrootstv.org, as well as on Cable Channel 12, Up Valley, Cable Channel 82, Down Valley, and Free TV Channel 12.1, over the Picking County Translator System. Or find a podcast of this discussion and many other informative and inspiring local presentations by clicking the iTunes or SoundCloud icons at the top of grassrootstv.org homepage. All right, so here we go, Ward. Uh, let's talk about this. Um, you know, I was trying to figure out when I first met you, and I think you were behind the counter at Sabatini's in 1982. Does that sound right? Yeah, I, I think I started at Sabatini's in about 1978 or 79. Yeah. Okay, it brings us back to the question of when, what's your Aspen origin story? How did you find Aspen? Well, I, I, I came from Minnesota, uh, and I had been coming to Colorado skiing for a number of, number of years skied Steamboat and Vale and skied Aspen. And every time I went back to Minnesota, I went by Buck Hill and I said, the last time I said, that's, that's the last time I'm going by Buck Hill. I'm gonna stay next time. And, and this is in the 70s. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I decided uh, that Aspen had, it had great skiing, but it also had a history in, a, in a, what was a real you know, mining town. Um, I thought Steamboat was uh, a contender, but it was a cow town. Um, it had some good skiing, but there's just something that hooked me about Aspen. So I moved out here in October of 76. 76. And how old were you? Oh, I don't know. 25, I guess. 26. Uh-huh. Somewhere and, in there. And what was your first gig here? I worked at um, Sporthouse Lindner. Which no longer exists. No. It's not there. And then Gondola Ski Shop. And that was the snow drought year, and it was really tough. Uh, that was the year that um, spiders, uh, Claudine Langer trial, and I kept looking up at Red Mountain, and there's no snow. And I, when does it start snowing around here? And Didn't really snow until February that year. Oh yeah, I yeah. drove over Independence Pass after Christmas that year. Mm -hmm. It was pretty uh, pretty bleak. And then Sabatini's was. A long time gig. You were there a long time. Weren't I was. I worked at Sabatini's for about seven years. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, started the bicycle shop there for Dexter, the owner, and that was um, at the infancy of uh, mountain biking. Actually, started the bicycle shop before mountain bikes, and just the first or second, third year, uh, the mountain biking started, and uh, it was still road biking, but the mountain biking reintroduced a lot of people to the sport and. Um, I think we could say mountain biking has been a success. Reintroduced a lot of people to the Smuggler Mountain Road uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole Hunter Creek Loop, and that was the beginning of that right. exploration of the back of that aspect of the backyard, I think. Yeah, and Richmond mm -hmm. Ridge. And, mm -hmm. and then you uh, professionally got into computers, and you became a computer consultant, basically. Yeah, I've had a computer business about 30 years now. And... Uh, Started off, I spent a year, uh, this is before the, way before the internet and before there were any computerized uh, real estate listings. And so I spent a year programming the database for com, uh, real estate listings. Um, never made a dime on it. Uh, and then there was this thing called networking then. 
uh, was coming along, uh, hooking up uh, desktop computers to a server and to each other. And I got in on the infancy of uh, uh, networking, um, became uh, certified with Novell, worked with Novell Networks, and then uh, Microsoft kind of took over, very much took over the networking realm. And uh, so everything now is pretty much in, in, in the small business arena is Microsoft Networks. And was your work all in asthma, or did you work around the state? Or When I first started, I had some accounts in Vail and Telluride, and uh, so now it's mostly Aspen and Snowmass. And you're still working, still have the business? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you've been living up near Centennial the whole, for a long time, right? You have a yeah, home up there? We, we bought a house in 1982 uh, at the base of Smuggler, um, a house that Jim Breasted uh, designed and built, uh, affectionately, or perhaps not affectionately, known as Chateau Debris. Uh, <laughs> when we bought it, in, it was in the county, um, and it had bare concrete floors. We'd been looking for two years, and all we could afford was a two-bedroom, second or third floor condo or down valley. So although this is quite a while ago, uh, the economic factors are the same now as they were then, but this was before there was any workforce housing, before APSHA, um, so it was uh, all free market. So we were able to buy a free market a long time ago. That was before Centennial was built? Yeah, we so moved. That was like the edge of town uh, yeah. where you were. Spring well, Street, it was right? in the county, yeah. We, yeah. we moved in in time for three years of dust from Centennial, um, mm -hmm. Centennial Construction. Right. I know the area because I rented from uh, Don DeLise up there, the old right. barn that's, right. that's up there. So Yeah, we're we right to, across the street. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, so a lot, of, a lot of water has gone under the bridge here in Aspen. Uh, let's talk about your involvement with civic affairs. Is it, does it go back before your appointment to the city's election commission in the 90s? Was there anything involvement there, or were you just another one of the happy residents um, and not necessarily engaged in city politics or city machinery. I, I think that it was, um, it may have been Helen Klanderud that reminded me at one point that, the, that uh, I came in front of county commissioners when they first built the bike paths and one of the sheriffs or a couple of the sheriffs were trying to force all bicyclists to be on the bike paths. And I, uh, I came from Minneapolis where there were multiple use tracks, um, trails, and one of the regents of the University of Minnesota, uh, his wife was killed by a bicyclist on a bike trail, so I had a very, uh, I was opinionated that bike trails are, are great for multi-use, for children, uh, for recreational use, and if you're a serious bicyclist, you should be on the road. And when I got pulled over for bicycling on uh, Highway 82 adjacent to the bike path at the airport business center, I don't know when it was, a long time ago. I wrote a letter to the, ad, uh, to, uh, the county commissioners and told them that if somebody got um, killed and, uh, or injured, it, blood would be on their hands, so a little hyperbole, and they uh, uh, forced the sheriff's department not to uh, try to integrate all bicyclists onto the bike path. That's the earliest engagement I can remember, and I don't even remember when it was. It was a while ago. Mm -hmm. And then the election commission in the 1990s, at the time that you were appointed to that, it was a revitalization. It was dormant at the time. And the election commission was reestablished because, I think, of Marilyn Mark's concerns that um, votes were not being properly counted in the city. Do I have that right? Is that was the impetus for that? Yeah, I was appointed when the two current commissioners were asked to resign or forced to resign. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances were. I think that they had met separately or allegedly met separately, and that was Chris Bryan and uh, Elizabeth Milius. And so Marilyn Marks and um, Elizabeth had a whole list of uh, procedural flaws that they perceived uh, were um, the thought they had exposed. So that wasn't in the 90s, that was much more recent, that was yeah. more in the 2000s. Yeah, whenever there. Marilyn was in town, she left town quite a few years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but we went through and did a lot of work, and uh, Dwight Shellman, the third, I think, mm -hmm. uh, 
Dwight Shellman's son that was a county commissioner here, his son uh, did a lot of work, uh, was hired and re pretty much rewrote the uh, Title IX, which is the election code. For the city. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this was at a time when mail-in ballots were uh, being transitioned into mail-in ballots. Um, and we went through a whole uh, protocols of uh, when people, election booths, uh, how should they, they be manned. And um, most, I think, of the uh, complaints, there were probably 60 complaints that Marilyn and Elizabeth brought forward, um, I thought were valid. And um, Robert Leatherman and Catherine Cook and I were on the election commission, and we spent a lot of time, probably close to a year, um, basically rewriting the code. And going through the nitty-gritty of details of how ballots are counted and recounts and all that kind of stuff. All of that kind of stuff. And so deciding, the state said that you had to have a tie-breaking protocol. So I think we decided that uh, it would be a flip of a coin. Uh, For the roll of a die. A roll of a die. Right. I, we did, we, I think, uh, at one point had a roll of a die for um, placement on a ballot or just, there was something that we did a roll of a die for, but I don't remember what it was. Well, it, it came is. up not too long after the election commission when I think Dwayne Romero and Howie Mallory needed to break a tie, and instead of rolling the die, they, they did something different, I remember. I think somebody yeah. uh, switched your support to, right. to Dwayne instead yeah. of Howie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was interesting. So I wanted to ask about that because it, it it's an indication that you know the back of house of the election machinery, if you will, or how elections are, are won. I'm not sure it really matters or has mattered um, in terms of the knowledge that you have about how that process works. So let me ask you, you've been involved with, uh, I think, two ballot initiatives and maybe a recall election since then, or at least two ballot initiatives, referendum. And did that election commission experience inform your work on the, the ballot initiatives as it relates to Castle Creek and, and Base 2? Or is it a separate body of knowledge that's not really relevant to that? I, I think it's the latter. Um, when you said you know how elections are won, I don't know if anybody knows how elections are won. Uh, we have an anonymous Other than by ballot. a majority. <laughs> Other than that, you know, when people, mm -hmm. it used to be when they go into the voting booth, now it's when they fill out their ballot at home. Um, who knows? what factors um, a person uses to make their decision. So the, the election commission experience I had were the, the mechanics of an election, not the um, public relations and, and dealing with uh, trying to project an image and uh, being a spin doctor. I'm not much of a spin doctor. I just like to say what's on my mind and try to speak uh, the truth as I know it. Um, so I don't think that uh, my experience on the election commission really had any um, positive uh, value in in being involved in uh, a recall election back when Frank Peters and um, Crockett, uh, Gassman, Bill Sterling. And that, if there are any of the viewers that remember that, that that's that was in the eighties. That, that was, was a while 80s. back. Yeah. 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 Um, so let's talk about the two more recent. Um, I guess they weren't. I guess they were. Ref were they? Well, there's a proper term. Were they referendum or were they citizen petitions? They were initiatives. Citizen uh, initiatives. Yeah, they were. Mm -hmm. They were both uh, to overturn a council decision, um, and uh, you had 30 days to get. I think it's 15 percent of the voters uh, that voted in the previous election to sign a petition uh, to overturn the city council decision and they were both zoning. Um, one of them was zoning for the Castle Creek Energy, Energy Center and the other was zoning for base two. And in both cases you successfully uh, got the signatures, presented those questions to the electorate and the council decisions were overturned. We don't have a Castle Creek Energy Center, we don't have base two. That's correct and Castle Creek Energy Center and base two were um, stopped in different manners. When you get a successful petition, your uh, city council can either overturn or send it to an election. Um, so um, what they did on base two, well, we could we can get into the weeds on it if you can I know everything about it. But um, in essence, it, uh, we had 
we had to get 627 signatures, I think, and we got 1,320 signatures. So there was a, a pretty strong feeling in the community that they wanted, the community wanted to revisit this base two approval. Um, City Council uh, was presented with uh, Mark Hunt withdrawing his application, and I thought, well, okay, that's a done deal. We're 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 finished. And this was for a small lodge across from Carl's, where the gas station is today. It's for a small lodge. It's uh, for a lodge. For a lodge, they are better. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For a lodge, it uh -huh. had two and a half times the uh, uh, density that was allowed under zoning. Had zero setbacks. Uh, had no on-site parking. Had next to no um, employee housing mitigation. All of these were concessions that were given to the developer um, that did not conform with uh, with the site. And so, we, um, and then. Um, Behind the scenes, the developer, Mark Hunt, was convinced that he should resubmit and, so, and withdraw his withdrawal. Um, so it's a very confusing time. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and then it went to, went to an election, and in that election, we prevailed 63 to 37%, and we were outspent probably eight or nine to one. And then the Castle Creek hydro plant was a few years before that, right. but a similar circumstance. Council voted to rezone the, the site in order to build a new facility. Right. A group of citizens said we're not in favor of that and took it back to the people. Right. And uh, again, there are a lot of moving parts, I guess, or a lot of uh, issues that really concern me. Everybody has their own um, pet issue. Some of them were concerned with the uh, dewatering of. Uh, Maroon Creek water came out of Maroon Creek, was uh, to be diverted to Thomas Reservoir to fill a drain line that would turn the turbine, and that water never returned to Maroon Creek, so all of that wetlands below the bridge would be deprived of, of water. Uh, I think perhaps the thing that bothered me the most was that the city uh, built a drain line where one was not needed. Um, they already had a drain line for emergency drain line for the Thomas Reservoir and they built a large drain line calling it a, a water project to feed the turbine and use that as justification to avoid FERC Federal Energy Regulatory Commission approval of a hydro project and for me that was tremendously um, about as far away from transparent as you can get and I felt it was uh, deceptive to the federal government and that was the thing that really bothered me the most. Um, you, of all people, know the details of that more because you're dedicated to, to water. Um, and I did cover that quite a bit yeah. in detail. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask about those two things is because um, this is the first time that you've come through the front door, if you will, in a, and run for city council. Um, you've uh, applied to be appointed once before and were not appointed, and you've had this other level of involvement with city government through these two successful um, initiatives. So now you have a, right, now this is the first time through the front door, I'm gonna gather signatures and put my name on the ballot in a regular election, right? You've never right. never run for election straight up before, right. right? And so your experience in the political arena, you, you've had some experience there's a difference, though, between, say, legislating from the bench, or not from the bench, but from the council table, you know, being involved in, in a proactive situation, if you will, which assume, assuming, assumedly you would be if you were elected to city council, and coming in after the fact and, and, and attacking a decision that's already been made or trying to change a decision that's already been made. So what, what's the difference in your mind uh, do you see a big difference between the roles of, of being a, uh, an outsider trying to change something versus now wanting to be an insider? Yeah, it's a pretty poorly I, phrased question. I apologize, but um, I think you get the gist. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's right. proactive versus reactive, yeah. and that's that's what I um, my involvement had been when I thought that government had gone south, or the procedure, or the protocols, or um, both of instances were zoning, that uh, the zoning wasn't being honored, particularly in uh, base two, that it wasn't being honored. Uh, um, it was being, you know, zoning creep. 
that I reacted to something that uh, City Council had, had approved. And through those periods of time, I hadn't been directly, hadn't really been engaged uh, and just trusted government to do the right thing. And when I felt, and other people in the community felt, that they made a decision that was contrary to the best interests of the community, that uh, I led, uh, was an initiator on, a, on both of those petitions. And it certainly wasn't me that got it overturned, it was the community. Um, there were a lot of people involved in both of those efforts. Um, and a few years ago, I felt I really want to become more involved, more pro proactive, and I want to um, to be engaged in the process before the decision or while the decisions are being made. So I've um, really tried to be engaged to um, attend a lot of the uh, city council meetings, and those meetings that I don't attend, oftentimes I uh, look at the um, materials that are posted on the website, become familiar with the issues, all the ins and outs of the issues, um, and try to evaluate them from as many perspectives as I can and feel that I want, at this stage of my life, I feel I have more time. My two children are, uh, are gone, they're grown, we don't have the white knuckle drives over, independent, or over independence or veil, pass, uh, and you mean to send the kids to college, take them to college and that kind of thing? Well, no, to do um, hockey mm -hmm. and soccer uh -huh. and gymnastics. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. and you got a, you have four or five gym, gymnasts in the back of the car and you're going up <laughs> over a veil pass. And right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Parents know what that is. Yes. Ho same with hockey trips. So mm -hmm. um, those, those days are in my rearview mirror. Um, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given up one of those trips um, I so totally enjoyed my children as they were growing up and those experiences and the, the bonds you make with other parents and other children is just immeasurable. But that's in the rearview mirror now and, and now I have more time and I want to be engaged. Um, I care deeply about Aspen. Um, I, wanna, I want it to be sustainable. Um, I want it to have intelligent growth. I want the government to be transparent and res respectful and responsive. And city um, council meetings are very respectful now. It hasn't always been that way. Um, I certainly credit Mayor Steve Scadron with uh, setting that tone. So let's talk about you then as a political, even though you're not necessarily <laughs> a newcomer, here's your first time through the front door and, and maybe this, so we can ask some questions of you that we maybe haven't asked in the past. So politically, where do you come from? Are you a Republican or a Democrat or an independent? When I moved to uh, Aspen in 76, I never affiliated. I've been an independent. When I lived in Minnesota, um, I was active in the Democratic Party. I was an um, alternate delegate to the state uh, convention. Um, I was at a phone bank and had the pleasure and honor of meeting Hubert Humphrey, um, which I think is one of the highlights of my life, even just shaking his hand and saying a couple of words. Um, I was very engaged in issue politics in Minnesota. At the University of Minnesota, I was um, uh, chairman of the board at the University of Minnesota in an uh, organization called MPERG, Minnesota Public Interest Research Group, an organization that was a brainchild of Ralph Nader and was a consumer in environmental protection um, that was governed and by students throughout the state of Minnesota. And one of the achievements that I'm, I think, most proud of, and if I might tell a little story that really gave me the impetus to run for city council. Um, I was in a group, and as you entered the group, they were, the group asked you to, to say a little bit about yourself. And I said, well, my first act of civil disobedience, I drank out of a colored only water fountain in the train station in Atlanta, Georgia when I was seven years old. There's always been ingrained in me a sense of justice. Um, at the University of Minnesota, uh, Imperg was um, involved in suing reserve mining, uh, was uh, mining taconite in northern Minnesota. And uh, the process of getting iron ore out of the taconite, they would pulverize a rock, wash it, 
and then all the affluent would go into Lake Superior. That rock was uh, surrounded with asbestos. Asbestos fibers are going into Lake Superior every day. And we were successful uh, in suing reserve mining and getting uh, reserve mining to stop dumping taconite tailings into Lake Superior. And I told that story to my group and when a, uh, a group of men. And when I finished, there was a fellow there. He had tears in his eyes. And he said, I lived at Silver Bay. I saw what reserve mining was doing to Lake Superior. Thank you. And it made me realize that what we do, we may never see the effects of it, but it, it does affect people's lives. And so I'm proud of uh, what I did 40 years ago. And I want to be able in any small way I can to help in the direction of Aspen. That's an inspirational story, Ward. Um, see, there's stuff I didn't know about yet, even though we've known each other for so long. So you worked on the Castle Creek Hydro plant closely with Maurice Emmer, and my perception is that you're maybe politically aligned with, with Bert Myron now. And so Maurice is very conservative, so I wasn't entirely sure how you were going to answer the question if you consider yourself liberal or conservative. And so was working with Maurice, is that because not because you're a conservative, but just because of the issue that arose? Yeah, uh, I, I believe in listening to people. I, I think that we shouldn't erect barriers that I can't talk to Maurice because of his political affiliation, his party activism, or his beliefs on uh, different issues. Uh, but when I see an ally, somebody that pre at Maurice has a, a a good mind. He expresses himself well. He's a retired corporate attorney. Yeah, yeah. He, he's funny. I enjoy his company. Um, I don't agree with him on just about any political issue, but we've been involved in a couple of issues that we do agree on. And so I believe in, um, I don't know, you might say strange bedfellows. I believe in um, finding um, support from people from broad spectrums that I think that the, the challenges we face, not only in Aspen, but in the world, in the United States and in the world, we have to knock down those barriers, those artificial barriers that we've uh, erected. And that we always have this tendency, I think, of this dualistic tendency of either being for or against. Uh, seeing things in black and white. I think we live in a technicolor world, and when we categorize somebody, if I say Maurice is a re conservative Republican and I'm not going to talk to him, I am depriving myself and the community of all the positive things that he can contribute, has contributed. He's very active in Rotary and, uh, and other things. And so when we, when we categorize people, um, it, it does the community a disservice. Well, I think the media is often guilty of using those labels as a shorthand way to describe people. So point taken. And so with Bert Myron, I, it's interesting. I, Bert lives a couple blocks from here. And if you go by his house, there's a, a sign for one of your campaign signs in his yard, which is relevant because he's a sitting city council member. And two of his uh, fellow council members are incumbents who are running for re-election. So if I was one of his fellow council members, I, I think I would see the sign for in his yard for um, one of my opponents and say, well, okay. And Bert's pretty well known for speaking his mind, so I'm not shocked about it. But is there sort of a, a, a Bert Myron, Ward Howenstein alliance, or he just thinks you're a good candidate as opposed to one of the incumbents? Well, or do you I, know? <laughs> I, I have a lot of yard signs left, and so everybody, <laughs> everybody can have one. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need to be just in Bert's yard. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm happy to put one in yours. Even <laughs> you can't vote in national elections. Right. You're welcome to a sign. I have some buttons, <laughs> well, too. Well, fair enough. But uh, um, Bert and I work together on uh, base two. Mm -hmm. And again, it's uh, I, I like to mine. Um, mine minds. Um, I like to, to get uh, knowledge and uh, uh, wisdom from as many sources as possible. I'm a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. I find 
wisdom in the teachings of Jesus, Buddha, Lao Tzu, uh, you name it. There, there, there's knowledge in the ether. And if we can see it in a person and get knowledge from somebody that I can benefit from, um, I, I will do that. I want to benefit from people's knowledge from every spectrum. And I want, I want to be able to sit down with people that are diametrically opposed to me on some issues, yet we can have respectful and constructive um, and beneficial conversation. If we don't arrive at a consensus, um, if we agree to disagree, that's fine. But um, on my website, um, I have a quote from Tr Thomas Jefferson that says uh, something to the effect of, I've never known a difference in opinion on uh, philosophical, religious, or political to drive me from a friend. So uh, that is really a driving philosophy of mine that regardless of what your um, positions have been on different subjects, I don't have to agree with everything Marie says. I don't have to agree with everything that Bert says, but I can get knowledge uh, from both of them. So there's no organized platform or plank or party. There's no Bert Meyer. Well, it's organized as much as I've organized it. Right. But I mean, not with, there's no, there's no grand plan for you and Bert to elect X number of candidates of like mind and swing the council to one place or another. No. I, I, I think that the sign is in Bert's yard because he aligns with what my political beliefs are um, and the work that we did together on base two. Um, and I think that um, you have to ask Bert why the sign is in <laughs> his enough. yard. Fair enough. I can't ask you though, uh, so you are running against two incumbents and are you running against these incumbents because you think they need to be replaced or is it just your time to, to run for council and they happen to, to be running as, as well? I'm not running against Art Iran. I'm running for a seat on Aspen City Council. I decided to run um, before Art and Ann announced that they were running. I, I, I've wanted to run for quite a while now. I, I know about eight years ago, Curtis At Wackley asked me if I was going to run for city council. And at that time, I said, no, that it would, it's upsetting to my harmony. My, and I've gotten to a place where I've, I'm not attached to the outcome so much that if I lose or somebody criticizes me, somebody doesn't agree with me, that I take it so personally that I can't sleep at night. I might lose some sleep over there, these issues, but there's still time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't, don't. That's not a challenge, <laughs> right? <laughs> but yeah, I. Um, You're not running against them because they're running. You're not trying no, to replace them per se. I, I want, I want a seat on city council, in uh, Art Manor running. Um, uh, Anna and I have uh, exchanged a number of emails. We've met a few times over the over the years. Um, Art has never returned a, an email in the four years he's been on council, uh, so I don't know where Art is. But um, and I have no reason to like or dislike either one. I have more reasons to like them uh, than, and, and certainly no dislike. No, I just want to run. I just want to seat on Aspen City Council. So with all that sort of out of the way now, uh, we get a better sense of where you're coming from. Is there something you'd really like to do? Is there, um, in the proactive mode, something that you uh, you can put forward as that you are going to work on changing if you're elected? Uh, one thing is that I want to have protection for small businesses. Um, there have been a couple of what I'm calling predator startups. Uh, Nello Alpine Aspen Kitchen hung a lot of paper, um, left a lot of local businesses, small businesses, um, with uh, hung money on them they, that didn't pay for services and um, product that, that were delivered to them. Either in the construction phase or the operation phase. Right. Mm -hmm. And I first became aware of it really with Nello Alpine in my 30 years in business. Um, I used to always get a purchase agreement. In Aspen, we have a tendency of um, respecting people and a handshake and a nod is all you need to do business. And that they're, they're, they're a set of uh, businesses now that you need to protect yourself. You need to do these purchase agreements. Everybody is so eager for business. They want a new customer so badly that they'll trust that the person is going to 
be honorable, that they're going to pay their bills. Um, and when Nello, um, it became apparent that they weren't, um, I sued in small claims. I prevailed, and I did get my money from Nello Alpine. But there, after a couple of news articles were in the paper that of my actions, uh, some other people started contacting me that had, had, had similar um, relationship with Nello, and then Aspen Kitchen was the same. So um, to circle back, I, what I want is on council, and I, I spoke with uh, uh, Mayor Scadron and uh, City Attorney Jim True back in July. Uh, now it's uh, March, the end of March. Uh, nothing has come about. I wanted an ordinance that would protect local businesses, and my idea was to have um, a, a CEO um, not be granted if uh, they owed and uh, old local businesses money. And uh, Jim Chu said, well, you can't revoke a CO, but you can revoke or suspend a business license. So that's a, a tack that I think would be appropriate. Um, and you can essentially introduce a draft ordinance to that effect and see how it goes. Right. I would, I would like to see that if a small claims or district court awarded um, um, a business um, that they, uh, the business would have, the debtor would have 30 days to pay or they would uh, have their business license suspended. If they, wanted, um, if they want to contest it, they could uh, put money in an escrow fund and then um, they could argue it up. But at least the business would know that the court judgment is in an escrow fund. But that, it may not be necessary, I think, an educational piece for best practices for small businesses. Uh, there are a lot of remedies that are available that um, some of the small business owners don't, aren't aware of. So that's one thing I really want to work on. Okay. Another thing that uh, I want to work on is that um, <laughs> City of Aspen is continuing to apply for their conditional water rights to build dams in Maroon and Castle Creeks. The city has said that if they decide to build a dam, it's an administrative decision. Administrative decisions are not subject to initiative. Uh, so if the city were to decide, some future city council were to decide to build a dam in Maroon or um, Cas um, Castle Creek, the voters would have no ability to overturn that. So I want a home rule charter amendment that the voters would have a final and binding say on the construction of a dam either up Maroon or Ashcroft or um, Castle Creek. And do you think that should apply to any dam in the, in the area or just those two which the city currently is maintaining conditional water rights? For? Uh, yeah, those are only two dams I know of, but I, I would be, I think dams are bad. Um, if people haven't seen it, they should uh, look at Damnation, a uh, documentary that uh, Patagonia funded. Uh, has a very good look at what the construction of dams and what it's done to the environment. Um, hydroelectric is a uh, clean uh, relatively clean, per, clean way to produce energy, and we are buying hydroelectric power from the Ridgeway. Um, so I'm not against hydropower in any means, but I'm against, I don't like dams. So um, Mayor Skadron and, and both Ann Mullins and, and Art Daly, the entire council, uh, all voted to, to refile for diligence on, on those conditional water rights at the end of last year. And do you think that should be uh, an issue in this campaign, that decision? Um, because one could argue that that decision furthered the likelihood of a dam someday being built on those creeks as opposed to diminishing that likelihood. Um, it sounds like you don't agree with their decision to, or with that vote. I think it's the responsibility of uh, the city council to look long term at the, the water needs of the town of Aspen. I think the projections I saw that they would, uh, Aspen would need a dam if the population grew to something like 17,000. I've been in town 40 years. The population of Aspen has remained pretty static. The only growth, I think, has been through annexation. Um, you're, you've written extensively on those issues, and I think it goes back to 1965. It does. And so, there's, it, for a long time, city council has been looking at it and at building dams, and uh, that's a long time ago. And we, every six years, the city refiles, um, and 
they're telling the state that they're, doing, they're, they're pursuing building a dam. Yet if you talk to them off the record, oh, there's never going to be a dam built. So I think we have to get those aligned. Either you're going to have a dam or you're not going to have a dam. There does seem to be a gap between what they're telling the state and what they're telling the, the citizens um, so far. I'd I agree with fair. that, yes. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some other recent things that have come before council. You're not on council, so perhaps we can get your opinion of how you might have voted on certain things. Uh, one of them is this, this pending Gorsuch House review. Are you comfortable talking about the proposed hotel at the top of South Aspen Street at the bottom of 1A? I'm comfortable talking about it. I've followed it since before it was uh, presented to staff. So I, I know, I have a pretty good uh, understanding and history with it. Um, and I've written, uh, I wrote one letter to the editor uh, about extending uh, what I call 1B. Uh, it was 1, then 1A, now 1B, it makes sense, down to Dean Street. And I think that is still a very, um, the community wants, I think, a good portion of the community want that. I was at a city council meeting until 11.30 last night, and that issue continues to come up. So getting people to the site of the Gorsuch House is one of the remaining issues. Uh, the Gorsuch House itself uh, has decreased in size by 17% or something uh, in the presentation last night at city council. Uh, the building itself, I think everybody that looked at it was struck by how beautiful the building is. I was particularly struck with the textures and uh, some of the interior uh, uh, renderings they had. Uh, and I, I don't want to come out in favor or against it because I want to protect my position. If, if I am elected, I want to be neutral and I want to be able to be part of the discussion. Um, I know that Skippy Misero, um, and Art Daly both would have to recuse themselves in this discussion. Art was not present for the discussion last night because the law firm uh, that he uh, is a partner in represents the ski company. Uh, so he has to recuse himself. Skippy was on PNZ Planning and Zoning Commission vote, voted against the Gorsuch House and therefore would be recused if he were elected on council. So it's conceivable that you would have three people on city council making a decision, a 50-year decision, on uh, the western portal of Aspen Mountain. So I want to be very careful about not getting on or against uh, the Gorsuch House. But um, I think the prevailing, there, there are a lot of people that don't want anything to happen. They're fine with the old Lift 1A. They think FIS is, um, you know, you're not going to have another World Cup event here until you get a better base facility, and they feel that um, uh, Steve uh, Marold had a, uh, a place where uh, they could put that lift. <laughs> and it's, uh, you'd have to research his letters to the editor to find out exactly where that place is, but he represents and uh, expresses, I think, the view of some uh, people that just leave it alone, just don't want it, anything done there at all. Um, but I think the vast majority of the people that I discuss it with want something there. You know, it's fascinating to me that there's a ski area master plan for Aspen Mountain that was last done in the mid-90s or late-90s, and it shows a short lift from, from Dean up to a new base area. And so the ski company's been very silent in, on this issue. It seems to me that they seem like, they, I call it the helpless kitten pose, like, oh, well, we have no say as it relates to where this lift might go or how this development might be shaped. Have you been struck by that at all? Do you think the ski company should be taking a more leading role in saying this is what we'd like to see for the base of Aspen Mountain? I, I, I can't get inside the ski company's head. Um, I do think that the city made some bad, bad decisions in granting some of the um, easements along Aspen Street to the uh, um, Brown brothers group um, that has handcuffed them on some of the options that are available. Um, I, I, that's unfortunate. Uh, it's done. We have to, the Linsic property is something that I was hoping that somehow uh, the city and the stakeholders could negotiate and get a lift 
um, down to Dean Street. Um, uh, attorney for uh, the Dolensic family appeared in front of City Council last night, Rick Knezovich, and expressed the feelings of the, of, uh, the Dolensic family. And I was really appreciative of that because it gave, um, it gave me the, the feeling that there's just no way that um, a lift is going to go over that property that the city bought at a, uh, probably half of what it was uh, valued at. With that condition in place. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And so was there a sense last night at council that, okay, we're not going to solve the Dean Street to the top of Aspen Street? Mm -hmm. I don't think that was, uh, I think that we're still hoping that we can find some kind of solution, a, a people mover. Uh, something other than a rubber tire solution. The rubber tire solution is eight shuttles an hour going up and around uh, the base. And one of the goals of City Council that I agree with is to, to try to decrease the amount of traffic in town. And I think that is contrary to that goal. So I'm supportive of being opposed to the rubber tire solution. So you mentioned traffic, so I guess you know, there's part of me that's delighted the entrance to Aspen is more or less back on the table, <laughs> only because I have, a, I think, a sixth sense of humor or something. Uh, <laughs> actually, I've been opposed to this notion in town that we have among, I think, among the press especially, that says, oh, we can't talk about this anymore. We've talked about it too much. This is an endless discussion that we shouldn't keep having. We need to talk about something else. And, and I reject that because I, the problem has not gone away. We've, we've not solved the issue or we've not taken, I don't think, all the steps we could to potentially solve it. Now we have a new study out that talks about light rail and, and buses, and there's a renewed conversation about should we actually try and do something to make the situation better, or is what we have what we're going to have? So where are you on this renewed uh, discussion? And, and it's an age-old question that virtually every candidate over the last 30 years has been asked, where do you stand on the entrance to Aspen? And, well, I think there should be an entrance to <laughs> At least I'm one. fully supported in the summer. I think they should have a back door. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> How do you think that entrance should be configured? Well, I think that all challenges, problems, should be looked at from um, all things that contribute to that. Um, so the things that I think contribute to it is... <laughs> oh, I am, yes. Yeah. Um, we... We have the Aspen Area Community Plan. It used to say that 60% of the workforce would be housed within the urban growth boundary. Or above Aspen Village, I think it originally said. Yeah, and now mm. I think it's just a, it says a substantial portion. Mm. And, it's, and I think they're using the roundabout as where they want that substantial portion. Real close in there. If you have a substantial portion of your workforce housed within that, then within Aspen, then you're decreasing the amount of traffic that's coming into Aspen. So um, that's one aspect of it. So I can't just look at the um, uh, issue of the entrance to Aspen from one uh, aspect. I have to look at it from all the things that contribute to it. Um, I think that... Uh, so on that point, you would suggest that we try and build more affordable deed restricted housing up Valley? I want to call it workforce housing. Okay because I think that's what it was originally designed to do. I don't think it was meant to be um, affordable housing for people that aren't members of the workforce um, or for to be subsidized housing for people that um, were second homeowners. Uh, so I, I fully believe that our workforce housing is a huge asset to our community. We're the envy of uh, other key communities probably throughout the world. And I tip my hat to the people that um, got that um, initiated 35 years ago. Um, we owe a great debt of uh, gratitude to them. But I think we need to optimize it. We need to house as many people as we can, as many members of the workforce as we can in the um, assets that we have. We have to maintain those assets. So as you know, there's a, you know, different flavors of, of different types of people in the, in the morning traffic jam every morning. There are people like myself who drive up from Basalt and probably should be on transit, have the option to be on transit, what I call the mellow middle. Uh, we have people who are coming up to build houses and, and homes and, and um, facilities, and so they need a vehicle. And then we have other people who are on a trip that requires a vehicle for whatever reason. Um, and so um, 
how do you, with the level of construction traffic that's in that mix, do you think there's a, a component that says we should stop growing as much and therefore stop inducing as many construction trips up the valley? Is, is growth part of the equation with the entrance? I, I think that Aspen's economy to, to be sustainable should be based on tourism and skiing. I don't want the, the economy of Aspen. All right, here go the votes. <laughs> I it don't was a want great campaign, <laughs> really. I, yeah, thank you very much, Ben. Forget the election's over. But I, I, I don't think that it's, it's sustainable for us to continue to grow and that construction be the base. I, people that are in the, in the trades and construction, um, they need their tools. Um, some communities have worked with staging areas outside to bring, um, to, to leave the tools on site, on the, on the job site, and to shuttle people into their jobs. Um, I think that people that um, come into town, park their car, uh, work all day, get in their car and leave, that there should be real encouragement for them to uh, perhaps get out of their car at the intercept lot and have some other form of transportation into town. Um, we hear that raft is maxed out with a number of bus trips we can come into town. We read uh, from consultants that are telling us it's 75 to 100 million dollars a mile to construct uh, light rail into town, a monorail light rail. I think that the uh, future of Aspen's transportation, we have to look at um, in the not too distant future, high occupancy autonomous vehicles, um, self-driven buses that can ride closer together, communicate to each other, and that transportation experts that have come to Aspen in a, this winter are all saying that uh, autonomous vehicles are gonna be a lot bigger, a lot faster than anybody really realizes at this point. Let me circle back on the notion of growth, though, as of Aspen growing and inducing uh, trips to, to Aspen. Uh, we do have an amazing construction economy here, and we see it in the level of construction intensity that goes into the new homes that we build, both in the county and in the city. And so, do we get a traffic by, by stopping growth? Where do you come down on, on stricter growth controls or trying to slow that engine of, of, of growth? Is that a, a position you hold? Or, or do you think, you mentioned it's fraught with potential election complications. I mean, you think it's a position that will be unpopular? Oh well, yeah, it's gonna it? be unpopular with some people. Mm -hmm. um, I, I I'm not someone that believes in no growth. I think we have to, the only constant is change. That even if you don't grow uh, the town, you have to have construction to rebuild some of the stuff that's older. Uh, there's some really aging uh, lodges and uh, the way it is now and the way city council and the way that the city government is that the mitigation and the fees and the time involved in redeveloping a property are a barrier. Uh, a barrier to entry and it's it's gotten to where it's a lot less expensive for them to sell the land and somebody else come in a developer comes in gets the approvals and then they sell it to somebody else and that we saw that um, on the lift one lodge uh, that the brown brothers bought it with the approvals in place so it's uh, i don't know if you we're never going to get rid of uh, construction we don't need to get rid of construction. We just have to be reasonable about how much, what did Will Rogers say? Buy land, they're not making any more of it. Uh, one of our values is that we have open space. Um, so there's not a lot more space to build. Gorsuch houses, maybe that area is the, the last parcel of land really uh, for a large development. Um, we, well, we're clearly into redevelopment. For sure. Redevelopment, uh, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. Well, it gets to um, whether, A, the city can actually um, slow that intensity of growth or that intensity of construction. Um, it sounds like you're not coming out strongly against, uh, you're not saying shut it down, certainly. Well, we recently had a um, formula store ordinance 
um, Chain Store Control Act is what I called it, mm -hmm. conditional use. Um, I think that that was it's symbolic. I don't think it really is going to have much of an effect, certainly not in the short term. I think what it did is perhaps give a false glimmer of hope to some people. But the realities of owning a business, starting a business in the core of Aspen are, it's expensive. It will be expensive. Without chain stores or with chain stores, it's expensive. The, um, the mitigation, uh, now there's a 25% public amenity for uh, redevelopment. So you have 75% of your land that you can uh, uh, lease out. Uh, the, it's, it's 30 years ago, before I started computer business, I was in the bicycle business and ski business. I did a pro forma on, on starting a bicycle and ski shop because I loved both of those activities and I loved uh, the interaction with the, with the clients, uh, the customers over the years. And I concluded 30 years ago that the only way you can make downtown is if you own the building. And mm. I think it's the case now. And to have some kind of control or conditional use on a formula or chain store doesn't change how much it's going to cost to open a business downtown. Mm. So although it's symbolic, I don't think it has a real effect on making it uh, easier to enter into and maintain and be profitable with the business downtown. So, Ward, we've been talking for nearly an hour, and it's gone quick. It's been very enjoyable. I should give you a, an opportunity to uh, lay out anything you haven't laid out for, for viewers or who are wondering if they should vote for you for city council this, this spring. So um, what would you like to do on city council, and why should we vote for you? I think that my biggest strength is that I listen. Um, I, I listen to all aspects, all sides. I want to have uh, everybody feel that uh, they're part of the process. I want to get knock down those barriers. I think if we've learned anything from recent elections, Brexit and um, the recent presidential election, is that government must be responsive to all people in the, in the community, whether the community is Britain or the United States of America or Aspen, that your government and everybody uh, in the community needs to be talking with each other. And so that's, that's the biggest thing that I want to bring to the table is that everybody should feel always free. And last night for three hours of public discussion, very civil at uh, City Hall, um, that's the type of um, uh, forum that, that I encourage, that I listen. I, wanna, I want to have people from the far right and the far left go uh, be able to identify with me because I, I'll listen to uh, what they have to say and try to formulate something that's the best, best for Aspen. How do you think it's going to go? Feeling good? I, you know, I, I don't think you ever know until the day after the election. Uh, when you, some people go, oh, you're going to win. And other I mean, base two was, people thought that was going to be close, and it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Mm. I, uh, all I can do is what's in my heart. I, I love the town, and I want to serve the people of Aspen, and I want your vote. Well, um, you deserve credit for throwing your hat in the ring, and I hope the campaign's enjoyable, and, and good luck. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks. Grassroots Community Network's 2017 Aspen City Council candidate and election coverage is made possible by a grant from the Thrift Shop of Aspen, where your donations and purchases of clothing and other personal items supports dozens of nonprofits throughout the Roaring Fork Valley. Underwriting for Grassroots ProBlind series of in-depth candidate discussions is provided by A&B Bank Aspen, a bank like no other, with the strength, talent, commitment, and security to fulfill their business and personal customers' financial needs. A special thanks to Aspen Journalism for partnering with Grassroots on ProBlind, because well-informed citizens make better decisions. 
Discover more local, in-depth investigative journalism at aspenjournalism.org. It is simple to join these local institutions in supporting grassroots programming. Click the Donate button on your next visit to grassrootstv.org. You can watch this program and thousands of other grassroots programs online at grassrootstv.org, as well as on Cable Channel 12, Up Valley, Cable Channel 82, Down Valley, and Free TV Channel 12.1 over the Picking County Translator System. Or find a podcast of this discussion and many other informative and inspiring local presentations by clicking the iTunes or SoundCloud icons at the top of grassrootstv.org homepage.